initiative podcast this is volume number two special insert number five this week we're going to be talking about uh designing an adventure from the ground up i am one of your hosts dm vince sitting alongside dm matt hello everyone and dm nick hi folks hi everyone and dm will is off this week in adventure gaming land so uh he's at a uh, convention right now so yeah that's what up in vancouver right I believe so. GameStorm or something? Yeah, or? Vancouver, yeah. Washington this weekend. Then he has another one uh, next weekend as well. So I think it's a comic book convention. Two weeks. Yeah, yeah, so two weeks in a row. He's going to conventions, living the life. Lucky him. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky. So uh, the rest of us have been you know, busy doing what we're doing. Uh, so let's jump right into things uh, real quick. Nick, you said we had a couple of reviews this week. Yes, actually, we had three reviews on iTunes, so mm. let everybody know. We're up to about 115 reviews on iTunes, so if you ever want to give us a review, you know, head on over there and uh, type in Roll for Initiative on the search, and uh, away you go. So first review we have from DM Dwayne. Hey, Dwayne. And he says, just freaking awesome with five stars. So he goes, okay, first off, whenever you play, whether you play old school first edition or other editions, this is the podcast for you. The way the guys discuss info can be applied to any edition. The knowledge here is unmatched, and they have helped me because, become a better DM and a better player. I've listened to each episode at least twice, wow. and they have gotten nothing but better as the weeks go by. It is because of this podcast that I have started playing 1E. Began uh, basic and 2A again, and even uh, Pathfinder. Thanks, Will. Their viewpoints are informed and welcomed. And if you want to hear a great group of guys talking about a great game, listen to DMs Will, Vince, Nick, and Matt, the RFI podcast with like 15 exclamation points at the end. So <laughs> thank you, DM Dwayne. That's that's awesome. We all we do what we can. Yeah. If we help you make a better be a better dm and a player i'm you know that's great but this is also your show too if you ever want to you know have any suggestions or you know give advice as well you know always email us or you know call up on our hotline so you know we're just a bunch of guys who enjoy playing the game so word give our two electrum pieces yeah <laughs> they're better than copper so <laughs> well, nick's getting copper we're getting electrum I got Electrum. I like Electrum. So, <laughs> for Electrum to fool you. So, Anywho, go <laughs> our next review is from Pedalice PD, or something like that. I'm sorry. If I, if I massacred that, I apologize. Hey. And they say, old school is the real D&D next with five stars. Ooh. <laughs> I have been listening to RFI for a few years and enjoy it. 
I am much more of a flavor guy than a crunch guy, but I enjoy even the discussions about rules and such. DM Vince definitely is a bit of a curmudgeon, but I can relate because so am I. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I really enjoy his snark he brings to the show. I feel the snark of Vince is counterbalanced with everyone's favorite retired Marine, DM Will. DM Will brings a wealth of game experience to the table along with a great sense of fun. I have... I have was a I have slash was a big ADD player back in the days before there were any edition designations. I've also only played AD&D mostly first edition, but a few games a second and uh, BEMCI, which is for basic and expert and so on. So that we were that's where my heart will always lie. Thanks for the excellent show, guys. So Pat from Bat Pat the Lease. Cool. So, Thank you, Pat, very much. I'm so what? You no, no love for DM Nick and DM Matt? What, what gives? Oh, and I'm snarky. Yeah. And you're snarky. Snark. Snarf. Oh, oh snarf. Why, <laughs> And our last review is from Gulo Gulo1970. And he or she says, old school AD&D found here with five stars. Cool. And they say, this is a really good podcast if you like first edition AD&D, which I was raised on. Well, that and D&D Basic. Well worth the listen. Makes me feel nostalgic for the game I played over 20 years. If you want to know what makes first edition great and learn about the history of the game, this is your podcast. So thank you, Gulo Gulo 1970. And uh, just to let you know, there is another podcast that covers original and basic D&D, which is Save or Die, which is also done by Vince and company. So yes. <laughs> so if you want to get, like, the full gambit, and we also have another one that we know of, some, what is it, uh, Thacko's Hammer? Yeah, we cover all the old school D&D from basic all the way up to second edition. Yeah, so, you know, you could get your whole fix. You could waste a lot of time. <laughs> Listen to all three podcasts so you kidding this weekend was like a couple people were like praising us this weekend because we had the the multi-factor we had uh rfi came out sod came out thacko's hammer came out and an actual play podcast so people were like yeah they had all these things to listen to all at once people's heads were exploding that's awesome yeah if so if we cause your heads to explode you're very welcome yeah we do our best cool all right, thanks. You can leave a review. Go to iTunes, Roll for Initiative Podcast, and leave your review. Uh, we'll be reading them as they come along, or maybe we won't read them, depending on how much time we have. That's true. So uh, let's head over to some Sage Advice. We have a couple voicemails. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice this week. We have two voicemails right off the bat. If you'd like to leave a voicemail for us, 570-865-4210, the RFI hotline. Where nobody's standing by, it's just a voicemail, don't worry. Our first voicemail, here we go. Hey guys, Steve from uh, Central New York. And I just listened to the Greyhawk Adventures episode second one, the quickening, if you will. Great episode. Uh, Will, the swords you're thinking of were Fred Saberhagen's 12 swords. Uh, 
and they're in the Book of Swords, which is an awesome, awesome idea for a campaign. The swords are fought by the gods, and the gods uh, put them out among humanity to play with. And then the guys realized their horrible mistake when they found out that the swords could affect them as well. And it has one of the great minor demigods of, uh, of science fiction literature, in my opinion, dropped it. The healing god was actually an evolved dog. Great series. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know I love the podcast. Listen every week. Keep up the good work. If I knew how to do iTunes, I'd give you five stars. But I'm old and feeble. All right. Take care. Bye. He doesn't sound old and feeble. <laughs> I'm old and infirm. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, I have I have that series. A compl- I have the whole series, the complete book of swords that was put out by uh, Science Fiction Book Club many, many years ago. And, yeah, if you haven't read Fred Saperhagen, do it. Do it now. After you read the po- listen to the podcast, then read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had it way back in the day when uh, DM Joe, the great DM Joe, disappeared, <sighs> disappeared for a while from our lives. Uh, we used to say the DM Joe came ascending down from the heavens to teach us D and D, and then left, gave us the knowledge, and left. Well, he disappeared for a while. And it was a guy Steve that used to DM for us, and he gave us a campaign called the uh, the Swords of Alignments, and there was one for each alignment. We had to go quest to find them. Mm. Pretty interesting sword. They did like really big mega damage to them too. Our last voicemail was. Pop that one in. Hey guys, DM Kojo here. Just got done listening to issue 77. Great show as always. Couple things. First of all, Nick, I'm with you. Some clerics are going to use edge weapons, especially evil clerics. I mean, the whole thing that clerics don't want to spill blood, and that's why they use bludgeoning weapons, which never made a whole lot of sense to me because you can get pretty bloodied by a mace, anyways. But, uh, Evil clerics, at least evil NPC clerics, why wouldn't they use a sword or a dagger to draw blood from their sacrificial people? That makes sense to me. Uh, also, on the comment on the idea of giving magic items to starting players, I just have a campaign that I started with first-level players, and I created a custom table of you know weaker, low-level magic items, potions of healing, sword plus one, dagger plus one, those types of things basic armor and I kind of looked at it as family heirlooms that you know passed down from grandfather to grandson here's this item I used when I was an adventurer um, because they're low powered things and increases the survivability of the first level party I have no problem doing that I have every character uh, roll on this table one magic item that I've created so nothing crazy and random uh, like the DMG table um and then I have one question for you guys. Um, as far as I'm running my characters through um, B2, keep on the borderlands, and when I'm done with that, my guess is they'll all be around third level. What's a good module that, to pick up after that? I was thinking maybe um, you know, going into the Salt Marsh series, but I uh, wonder about some other options because I want to give my, my players kind of a sandbox choice uh, which module they pick, which direction do they go in my campaign world. So be curious on your thoughts on that. Keep up the good work. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so Nick, somebody exercise with you. That is probably one of the best calls we've ever had. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> what an intelligent man, I must say. Uh, but uh, 
yeah, you know, like I always say on the cleric thing, it's whatever, you know, whatever trips your trigger. It's your game. You do what you feel is best. As far as the other thing is like module, you know, he's going module B2 right now. So they should be roughly around third level, maybe when they're done, second, third level. I would say, yeah, give, you know, plug in the Salt Marsh series. I also recommend uh, Secret of Bone Hill, which is a really good uh, module to use. Um, trying to think of a few others around like levels three to five. I think you actually one that would be very good is against the cult of the reptile god. It does say levels one to three, but I think because of the threat that you're you're facing in that module. I, I would say anywhere from second to fourth levels and third to fifth levels would have a pretty uh, tough time with it. And you can always, you know, beef it up a little if you, you know, you know tweak the module. I think all, all DMs kind of tweak the modules to their liking. I know I do. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are you know, a few suggestions. Definitely Salt Marsh, Secret of Bone Hill, and Against the Cult of the Reptile God. So, I was thinking before. Is that Lost City? Yeah, that one has a lot of room for a lot of just fun when you get to the deeper levels of the uh, the pyramids and everything. Because mm-hmm. wow, it just becomes DM whatever he makes up. Oh yeah, that'd be a good one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah why not throw that one in there as well? I mean, right. you want big sandbox? There you go. Yeah, and then what you could do is take those very all those modules, throw them into your wor- world, and see which one the players bite on. So that way, it makes yeah. it seem like. They had a say in their direction. So you give them what seems like free choice when really you're yeah. guiding them. So plop them all in and just see which direction they go and run that one. Cool. Yeah, that's what I kind of do too. I kind of like throw like a whole bunch of them in there. And I, I just like plant the seeds of the, you know, plot seeds out there, you know, where they've been hearing rumors and such in a particular area and right. you know, wherever they go, they go. Right, yeah, because you never know what will catch player characters' attention. Sometimes they'll latch onto really bizarre things or like some throwaway NPC that all of a sudden now you need to actually make into a fairly major character because they really like them. Yeah, for some reason it's always <laughs> – I know that's with my group. They always like going off in directions I, I never, never anticipate, which is sometimes rather frustrating. Yeah. But hey, if they're having fun – that's cool. Exactly. Okay. I just want to head over to Facebook real quick. We actually have, actually, with the new Facebook update, you can get messages in a box for the group. And uh, Nick, there's one addressed to you personally. Uh-uh. It said, uh, it's from Der, Der Zorig, or AK. Yeah, Der Zorg. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Dwarf. My buddy Dwarf. Hey, Dwarf. Diesel Mathis Zerwig. <laughs> yes. He says, uh, for Nick, on Podcast 24, you walk into a tavern that we did way back when. Nick, how could you forget the broken dartboard in the hack journal number one? Oh, my God, yes. That's right. Here's a great, great uh, back at, back in the day when the original Hackmaster was out, the hack journal, which was the kind of the, uh, uh, you call it the, you could almost call it the Dragon Magazine of, of the uh, Hackmaster Association. There, there's, there's a, a tavern, an called the broken dartboard and the interesting thing about this tavern is um it's it caters 
specifically to dwarves, gnomes, and halflings. And if you're not a gnome, dwarf, or halfling, you walk in here, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so it's a really, it, I, you know, I'm going to have to dig that up. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll post something about it somewhere. And, uh, but uh, yeah, that's one. That's the gist of it. So that's that's a really cool adventure. Uh, and I've been doing active Facebook uh, questioning here on here. We had a poll up the other day. You're about to sit down and play a game. It has started at level four, and the DM will allow any class from the one e books. Which do you pick? It seems that we had thief, ranger, cleric, fighter, barbarian, or paladin. Everybody, 19 votes uh, or leading. Actually, no, ranger got the more votes now, it looks like. No, well, thief. Thief, 19 really? votes. Really? Ranger, 18 votes. Cleric fourteen, fighter twelve, barbarian four, paladin four. Huh? Yeah. I would be either playing a ranger or or, uh, or a cleric. I would have figured yeah. that. Yeah. I just like my two favorite classes. Yeah. And then we asked another question just here. You're standing outside the closed dungeon door. It is whatever you are, whatever class you want to be, and your best friend, whatever class again, are standing outside that door. The door is made of solid wood and appears to have a brass ring on it. That will help you pull the door open towards you. You listen at the door for a moment and hear some grunting sounds. What do you do? Please describe. Oh, I know I do. I say, Bella. Bella? Don't you remember that from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. How do you say open friend? Bella. <laughs> what would you do, Matt? Oh, I'm... Th- Never mind. <laughs> yes. Well, this is where we start rainbow sixing this stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to have... Yeah, one, one person will be like the magic user, and what we're what we're going to do I mean, is have the other person who's the fighter. The fighter, the fighter. What? There's only two of you, just you and your friend. Right. Yes. One one fighter, one magic user. Okay. That's it. So the fighter he'll swing the door open while the magic user goes and lets out a giant color spray, basically the uh, fantasy equivalent of a flashbang. At that point, fighter spins around, goes in with the shield taking up a wall. Making up a wall in front of the uh, magic user. Then, from there, you have to do a quick threat assessment, and you can either start unleashing the magic missiles from the rear while the uh, fighter holds off any advancing threats. Hopefully, the color spray would actually incapacitate enough that you can start rushing in and just lopping off heads. (laughs) So, the top answer with the top number of likes is by Patrick. And it says, like any old school adventure, you kick the door in and slay everything inside before the DM can reveal any character personality or quest info. That's the top answer so far. <laughs> I could go with that. Yeah. A uh, couple other answers are, uh, let's see here. Make the DM sweat. <laughs> Quickly open the door and have the illusionist cast color spray. Oh, someone's on Matt's side. Yeah. Charm monster. Someone said grunt even harder. The monster will run away. <laughs> <laughs> cast stinking cloud on the other side of the door and listen as they argue about who farted. Eventually, they will run out the door and be ambushed or leave the area. Okay. And finally, Lon writes down, my barbarian, barbarian friend will be chopping at the door while I wait 20 yards away, arrow notched. Knocked, excuse me. If the big glute is killed by a trap, I plunder his body and take a quick look in the room. If he breaks through and battle is joined, then I will slip closely in and we'll place a well-placed opportunity at the opportune moment. will help situation. And then plunder the room and continue on. So there's some great answers going on there. You should look at some of the answers. You'll probably get a good laugh at some of them. Some I really can't read on the air either. <laughs> How about we nuke the site from orbit? It's the only way to be sure. Uh, <laughs> still waiting to get to that big thousand. I wonder if we're going to do it. 
We will. We will eventually. Slowly but surely. All right, let's head into the the meat of the show, what we're going to talk about today, and we'll be right back. Yay! Remember that? Remember that bumper? The Adventure Construction that mm-hmm. we started long ago. Yes, many many issues ago, far before I even started producing the show. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about this week is designing an adventure from the ground up. We're going to just take our opinions on things and maybe help some people out there that are designing their own adventures where to start. Uh, Topics we'll talk about is where to start. Should it have a theme, maybe a quest or something? Uh, How would you design? Should it have a big bad? Maybe not a big bad, maybe just just monsters. Uh, As opposed to drawing your own map, maybe finding your own map. Where would you place the monsters? Would you put traps in? And would you bother writing a background for the whole adventure, or just, who cares, just let them go kill? So, uh, Nick, we'll start with you. How, when you first sit down to design the adventure, where do you start? Well, first thing I gotta do is take into consideration what levels is it for. Okay. So, that I think was probably one of the most important things that you have to look at. Let's keep it simple. Let's say, probably one of the, the best ranges the to play any sort of I would like levels three to five, you know. That's a that area seems to be kind of fun for everybody to play in. So that's one of the things I gotta look at. And um also I guess uh you know what uh what's you gotta find something original, I guess. It's hard to <laughs> but you gotta find something that's you know, really gonna you know kind of surprise the players. I guess. I mean, you could get some inspiration from books and movies, but, you know, you don't want to have anything too familiar, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it so really depends. That's on, one of the things I look at. Yeah. It really depends on your players, too. If you know, if it's a group you game with regularly, you know what types of games they like. You know what type of genres or themes that, that they attach themselves to more than others. So you might would even consider your audience as well. Hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. I usually when I generally start and I'll sit down and I'll, I'll do things from the backwards, backwards up as opposed to people start from scratch by saying, okay, it's going to be level one to three. This that I usually go and look for a map first. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Drive your inspiration from there. I find a good map and I kind of look at the map and I'll say, well, this looks like a good map in a mine where there's going to be this or that. So uh, we'll get to the map thing in a second, but that's how we would start. Yeah. Now, what about themes? You guys do themes for your uh, campaigns, like Quest for or uh, Find Somebody or Rescue Somebody? Matt, we'll start with you this time. Uh, it just really depends on what's uh, sparking my... Uh idea for the adventure because usually what I do is I might either say okay I want to use this villain or the, this these mm-hmm. creatures or I want the players to do something specific so yes there could be a theme but the, the way I run games while I know what the main purpose is I really don't lay out a lot of specifics I kind of play it on the fly week to week as to exactly what's happening. 
It's like with the Marvel uh, game I ran recently. I started off using uh, an encounter from one of the modules, and I didn't act, and I knew I wanted to use Hatemonger, and that's it. And then I'm like, as we were playing, I'm like, I'll start throwing in Red Skull, and then then probably three or four sessions in, that's when I decided Hatemonger and Red Skull were going to try to raise Cthulhu. Oh, so it wasn't planned. No, no, that was entirely on the fly. I just decided midway through the game, you know, this would be fun. So, and a lot of times, I'll even listen to the players start theorizing what they think is going on, and if I hear something good, I'll steal that. So that way they <laughs> that way they feel smart for figuring it out, and I got a good story idea. So, <laughs> That's so, not a bad idea. Yeah. What about you, Nick? Well, as far as like a theme, I, I guess... Um, I guess it depends on where they're at in the game world. Um, so, one of the things I like to do, I like to make an adventure to where it, I like to get them out of their comfort zone. I don't like them to have get too comfortable where they're at. For example, what happened this past time when we were doing uh, this uh, my AD and D campaign, where they're in Castle Greyhawk, they got teleported to the Isle of Dread. They're from, they went from a dungeon, and all of a sudden they're in a jungle environment with kind of lost world kind of thing. So that threw them for a loop, took them out of their comfort zone, and it kind of had to be on their toes. They had to rethink some things. So those are some of the things I like to do. I like to have – and I don't do it all the time because if you – if you do weird, unusual things all the time, then it's not so weird and unusual. It's not, you know, like the saying says, well, if everybody's special, then no one's special. You know, and I like to, you know, just kind of every so often just throw a little bit curveball here and then. So uh, one of the things I like to toy with is like environments. Like we, I talk about with a jungle environment, we're talking, if we're talking X, like uh, outdoor kind of adventure. One of the things I like to do is I want to try to do something um, kind of like in snow, tundra, uh, uh, you know, an Arctic environment would be really interesting to do. I think that's one that's hasn't been done often, you know, besides, you know, you know, module G2 with the frost giants. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, those are some of the things I like to do kind of unusual environments. It's one of those things I, I like to toy with. I uh, generally, as you know, from my actual play podcast, I like to add a theme to it. I always like adding themes to it, like the quest for or sure the legend of. I don't know. I like to have that one big you know, hook for people to get into because then I can give extra experience for that if they complete it. Mm-hmm. So I like putting, say, okay, they're going to have to rescue this guy or they're going to have to find this sword or this book. or And then you can have little mini quests in the middle of there. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's one. Of th- I always like to do a theme too. I mean, part of it is the environment, but also a theme. You know, what what's the driving force behind the whole thing? Um, one of the things I like to do is, no, I guess it kind of goes away, getting away from the comfort zone. Like, not, I don't like doing rescuing the princess or anything like that. That seems so contrived. I like. I like kind of dark, disturbing stuff. I maybe it's because of my also my love of the other game, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, but I like to add elements of horror and 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 real weird, disturbing stuff. 
in in my game like you know some like dark cults that are worshiping demons or devils or something like that so if, maybe maybe design a dungeon where it's occupied by some cult of demogorgon or something like that you know that and they're maybe they're maybe they're not just kidnap they're kidnapping children and you have to find out who's kidnapping the children so something like that you know i like I like doing stuff like that. That I think it, and I think it has some serious. It puts some serious con, uh, quandaries on their morality. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I like to play around with that. You know, every so often. I mean, you probably. I don't. Uh, do, oh, I'm sorry. I, don't, I don't do it all the time, but you know, sometimes we. Sometimes the guys just like to go in there and hack and kill things and take their stuff and get the experience points. And that's cool too. I, I I like to mix it up. I like to do a little bit of everything, I guess. So you probably enjoy what Lamentations of the Flame Princess, then. You know, I've seen it. I've heard about it, and you know what? It hasn't really tripped my trigger yet. You know, well, so you describe is everything that's pretty much in there. Oh well, then I better check check it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you might really enjoy it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out then. Yeah, if m- me. My games and my group, we tend to go more towards the comedy. We're kind of hard to pull off any real serious hardcore role-playing because we'll just end up making too many wacky comments or and just silly in-jokes. And so in a lot of ways, we end up doing slapstick a mm. lot. Oh, uh, we do that too. Don't get me wrong. Okay. That yeah. happens in my group too. A lot. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like right now we you, we use miniatures just to represent our characters and what we see, even if we're not actually pulling out the map grids and measuring off distances for combat. But we so we use figures and a lot of times we recycle the figures. So now we're like, you may remember me from such role playing games as Marvel Superheroes Photographer or Barwinch yeah. <laughs> number two. <laughs> So, at which point it just becomes impossible to pull off anything really horrific or serious with my group. But it doesn't mean we couldn't do a horror game. It's just going to be a very lighthearted one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we always, I think for the most part, our group is pretty lighthearted, too. I mean, but I like to throw in, like, certain elements of of horror and just shock. It's just every so often, but I mean, I think where our groups are very similar. I think most groups are like that too. Tend to be kind of tongue in cheek, and you know they don't take it all too seriously for for the most part. Just you know, sit around and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, so, big bad. You guys design your big bads, or you just kind of go on the fly until it's time for a big bad, or pre-generate the big bad. I know I'll start this time. I generally will make the big bad as part of the theme of the adventure most of the time, or I'll pre-draw it up ahead of time. I'll have an idea what his his temperament's going to be, what he's going to look like, what he's going to act like, how much, how long is he going to stay alive, how much is he going to annoy the party, is he going to come back, is he going to die and then come back? I, I usually have all those things written out. Mm. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I usually will pre-plan out my big bad as well. The really the the main planning I do is at for the final, the end. How how will this game end? It's the in-between stuff I play more loose and by ear. I have a general idea where I think the players will go. Doesn't mean they are, though. 
I, they will end up going off on routes I never imagined or not taking leads that I've been giving them. So I just plan out the big bad and then let everything else kind of fall where the players pl- end up placing it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Nick? You know, I, I think I almost did the same thing when it comes to the to the big, bad, nasty at the end. Uh, at the end, I, I or, you know, how he's going to be at the end, I have a pretty good idea of what he's going to do. Or he, she, it, whatever it may be. I, I have some general guidelines. I have an idea of like, you know, okay, he might get the spell if it's like a wizard or something like that, and then he'll do this. But uh, all the middle stuff, like like Matt was saying, I tend to run it kind of loosey goosey. You know, we I tend to throw the minions out there, try not to reveal who the uh, the big baddie is too soon. Um, so. In that case, yeah, I tend to run it kind of loose when, when it leads up to, you know, here comes the big bad. Mm. So, right, yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's like you, you may have specific things during the middle you'd like them to do, but you don't have a specific point in time where it has to be done. So that mm. that way I can – I'm like, I really think the players doing this or seeing this place will be cool, whether they do it in session three or session eight doesn't really matter. I'll work it in when it feels appropriate. Yeah, and obviously, if you put your big bad one place and the players find the area where he is, you just move them. Right. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the beauties of being a DM. Because the players don't know if you're right or wrong. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, what do we have next here? Uh, uh, let's see. Drawing up a map or yeah. picking one out. I generally will go online and find a map because I suck at drawing. So, <laughs> okay, well, at least you're honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go. There's a, a cartography site for campaign cartography, the the uh, software. And uh, if you go to their website and their forums, there is tons and tons of land maps and dungeons and houses and layouts. This enough that people have done that are showing off. I mean, as long as you you don't don't publish it, you could steal it for your adventure and use it. That's what it's there for. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of lazy when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's being There's, easy, though, Nick. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it is either. But I think going to the, you know, with the idea is that there's so much out there as far as material that you can use that other people have done and they're sharing it. Why not use it? Chances are you're going to find a map that's going to suit your taste. Right. Yeah, it's like I'll blatantly steal from modules. Just I like I like this layout from this module, so I take that. Or I like this map from another module, and I'll ta- have pull from like three or four different modules to craft my adventure. And the players will never know because it's in my world. I call everything. I give it all different names. So even if they think, even if they would know, if I say, okay, we're playing B two, and they know the layout of all the caves. If I call it, if they don't think they're playing B2 and I call this the cave of happy fun times, they're not huh. going to know the lave. Know the- oh, yeah, there's no way that anything bad's going to happen there. Oh, no. no, it's just like that Tomb of Honor. 
Oh, yeah, nothing bad happens there. Tomb of Honor? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Temple of Happiness. Exactly. Temple of Happiness. Temple of Sugar Plum Fairies. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you could take the time using Campaign Cartographer and actually design your own map or just sit down with a piece of graph paper and a pencil and let your little heart go content. It's yeah. a lot harder that way, though. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. But if you have a specific idea that you need your dungeon, you need this building to or this area to have specific features, that's the easiest way to actually have that happen uh, as opposed to spending hours trotting online to find that perfect map that has the mesa next to the swamp in a volcano so <laughs> you know but there, i have to say there's some there's something have to be said mm-hmm. about you know taking that pad of graph paper and a pencil and drawing out yourself you know yeah. oh yeah I, I i don't know i just maybe i'm Maybe I'm waxing nostalgically, but, you know, it, it kind of reminds you, you know, this is kind of where it all started. And, you know, there's there's some fun that uh, that could come out of it. And, boy, you really use your imagination there, too. Oh, yeah. It's like if I just need – if I need a dungeon, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll take the random dungeon generator out of the DMG and just roll out the layout. I don't actually have to fill it with encounters or anything, but I'll just – roll out the dungeon, all the corridors and the rooms, and just kind of see what I get. Especially if I'm just kind of brainstorming for ideas for a campaign. So I'll just start randomly rolling. and like, okay, a room goes here. Now we have this. And then as I'm doing that, that kind of sparks, oh, well, this room could be the tombs. This room could be this chamber. And then I can start fleshing something out that way. It's almost more of a brainstorming exercise than anything using just like random tables to see what you get yeah i've used that uh, a few times in the in the dmg and i have to say if you go with the die rolls you'll come up with some pretty unusual layouts <laughs> yeah yeah you can also find a bunch of generators online for dungeon generators in case you're really really lazy and just want to quick 30 room dungeon or something you can click it on there and how thick you want it to be how many rooms how many doors and how many odd ends and it'll boom pop it up for you yeah you can do that too i believe actually watsy has one too if you go to their website and i know paizo had one for a while Uh, i'm trying to think of anyone anyone know of another link that might be out there oh let's see I can't think of it right now, but I know th- I know there's more, and I'll throw a link to all of them in the show notes because there's just quite a few of them out there. And same thing with town generators that we've talked about in previous issues. So, all right. So monster placement, uh, Nick. When you're playing your adventure, do you plan out like, all right, there'll be monster encounters here. I want some monsters here in these rooms, or you just kind of go on the fly with those things. Um, I kind of. I don't know if I really go with the whole dungeon ecology things. It, it really, it really depends, you know. Some people's like, well, it has to make sense, you know. Where all, where all the monsters are, have to make sense where they're at and everything. They have to be have access to food. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> this is a game about fairies and dragons and elves. Come on, people, you know, yeah. doesn't have to make sense. You can if you want it to, but you know, some. Sometimes I might have a particular theme to uh, uh, like a dungeon, say, for example, 
Maybe it's like a, a, a null outpost. Okay, run with that. We're going to have, obviously, knolls. It's probably some flins that are leading them. They're probably going to have hyenas and the prehistoric ones, the hyena dons, as, as like maybe, uh, you know, like, like wargs are used for, for orcs. So I might go with that kind of thing. Mm. That might go. Uh, but it, it really depends on the the whole uh, idea of the the adventure. If I'm just going with a, you know, a mad wizard's, uh, you know, uh, dungeon. I mean, it, anything could be in there. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends that there's a theme to it. Uh, then I kind of run with that. I kind of I like pairing up monsters. Mm-hmm. I like um, I like how how I guess I guess a kind of like a uh, a dungeon ecology thing, kind of with w- real world ecology. Sometimes how animals will, you know, one animal will live in a particular area with another one, and they kind of cohabitate and live off each other's, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, defenses and what have you. I, sometimes I'll throw that in there too. I'll, I'll see a particular monster. I'm like, you know, that would be cool if this was paired up with this. You know, and then because uh, I think we talked about that at, at times in our uh, creature feature theater. It's like, you know what? If we pair up this monster with this, it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. I think one well, actually there was one like uh, when one that one I came up with that swamp giant mm-hmm. how it likes to use crocodiles and maybe uh, hydras as as pets. You know, there's another kind of thing. You know. Maybe uh, monsters kind of paired up. So, yeah, those, those are some of the things I do. Cool. I, I know I have my set random encounters or uh, what I and I have a set of monsters I know I want to use. A lot of times I won't place them anywhere until I feel that there's a need for a fight or there's a need for some action. Because sometimes the players like to just run around and explore and, you know, they like to have fun having a social event out of it. And sometimes you, know, you can tell why the player's going, oh, another room with a piece of gold in it. You know, it's time to throw a monster at them. Kind of right. Like- yeah. 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 I typically will have, okay, these monsters I want to use and I'll try to find ways to work them in. Um, but if, like, if I have the players going through, like, say, a cave that's inhabited by kobolds. I'll try to think of, okay, if the kobolds were were to have a society in here, how would it be laid out? So, yes, you would have, like, the kobold nursery, because there are baby kobolds. Mm -hmm. Which, when when you... Yeah, which, when you have the players going through hacking up all the, like, male kobolds that are fighting them because, hey, they're evil dog people, then all of a sudden they come a bunch of little babies... That kind of messes with them a little bit. They're like, uh... Yes. What do we do? Do we kill the babies since they'll be grow up to be evil? But they're babies, so... <laughs> and it makes sense to have Tonight, that there because yeah. it is... Yeah, that's happened to me before. <laughs> yeah. I think it was in the... Yeah, against the Giants when they first... When you go into the Hill Giants, there was a... Uh, it might have been the Hackmaster version, which is still pretty fun. Mm-hmm. They went into the Hill Giant Nursery, and I remember the guy who was playing a knight, he's like, we're not going to kill them. They're just young. 
And they just, everybody in the party is like, well, I'll tell you what, you walk over that way and just go, hum and hum and hum and hum, and we'll take care of them, okay? <laughs> yes. So, I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all right, so traps. How do you guys handle traps? Uh... You know, I have to admit, I'm not very good at making traps. I I can't make up traps off off the top of my head. I could do monster encounters. I could do some other things, but traps I have a real hard time with. I just I just don't have that. I just don't have a knack for them. So that's why I rely a lot on some other things. Uh, one of them is my collection of Grim Tooth traps yeah. books. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I'll. I'll um, if not directly steal the ideas out of there and plug them in, I'll modify them. I mean, there's quite a few traps in there that are easily modified. Some of them are just plain silly, but that's part of the fun. Like the one with involving the giant lobster? That's not silly. That's just darn right mean. <laughs> but also the one where, like, you know, with that ring that turns your, your thumb plaid or whatever it is. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I'll I'll borrow trap ideas from other areas. Uh, I think there might be some like trap, random trap generator kind of programs out there too, that you can use for 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 your dungeons. Or it's might be part of the dungeon thing if you find them out there. Uh, some random dungeon generators. Usually, you can plug in, you know, how many traps you want, and they'll it'll uh, you know make up the traps for you. So. Yeah, that's I, how I do it. I generally steal the ideas. I'm the same way. I blatantly will steal trap ideas. That, like Nick, I just don't really have that knack for like coming up with these elaborate Rube Goldberg esque traps. I, yeah, I, yeah. I would much rather just steal from Grimtooth. It's and just, if you haven't read those books, get them. They're actually re-releasing them digitally, remastered, and all that on Drive Through RPG right now well worth picking up and you'll just flip through it and you'll just come up with so many ideas on how to use these in your game. I mean, it's well worth it. It's like, I have the first scrim through traps and I just went through, I'm like, I want to use this. I want to use this. I want to use this. And then I'm like, I know maybe I can just throw them all. And that's the entire, uh, adventure. Oh wait, I just made tomb of horrors. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so finally when you're doing your adventure, how about writing up a background for it or just basically who cares? Just let them go kill. Nick, what do you do? You know, again, I think it just depends on, like, the whole idea, the theme of it. I, I guess even with a, just a standard dungeon crawl, there has to be a reason why it got there right. and how it got there. Yeah. So. You know, you could make it. A, you could make the background, I guess, as simple or as elaborate as you want it to be. Right. So, I guess that's where I kind of stand on, on that. Right. Yeah. It's like if you're doing a dungeon crawl, someone took the time to build the dungeon. It just didn't magically appear. It's not like a cave. Caves happen naturally, and things go in it. But a dungeon, someone took the time to build. Who is that person? Why does that dungeon even exist? I mean, mm. it doesn't even have to be a fully detailed back history of the dungeon for going on thousands of years, but just, oh, this wizard needed a place to hide his stuff. Could be, it could be as simple as that. 
and now the players yeah. are trying to get his stuff. But just a little bit of backstory can go a long way. Then the players will start filling in things on their own as they start exploring it. They'll find, like, oh, well, this is here, so this must mean. And just steal from your players during the game. They will flesh out things for you more often than not. <laughs> yeah, I usually um, write up the background or at least the way things are going to be and how the society is going to act towards the players. But when I was doing the Book of Sorrows, one of the players pointed out that why are all the NPCs just a-holes to us? <laughs> <laughs> It so happened that throughout all the places they were, that the, the players were just not liked. And every NPC was just a big butthead to them, so. <laughs> it just happens, you know. Yeah. You yeah. have fun. So writing it up, uh, a background, is a good idea, um, especially if players appreciate it. Uh, me being heavily involved with Vampire the Masquerade and things like that in the past, I got to appreciate writing up a story as opposed to just letting the players go out and wreak havoc on things. So sometimes they do appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one time I had a character for a Star Wars game I was running give me an eight-page backstory on them. At which point I read that and I'm like, you know, I saw things in their backstory. I'm like, I could actually turn an entire campaign out of the backstory of that character. And that's actually because we just decided we want to play Star Wars, but we really didn't – I didn't really know what to do with it because – Unfortunately, my players knew more about the Star Wars universe than I did. Well, one of them in in particular. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have continuity issues. Yeah. So when they gave me eight pages of backstory, I'm like, if I just play off this, I can avoid a lot of those uh, continuity issues I may have otherwise if I just throw out, uh, throw them into the Star Wars universe. So I took that and just ran with it. So sometimes you could even just say, hey, make up some characters and have them develop their characters without even having a like a story in mind and you build the story out of the characters as opposed yeah. to making a story then having characters fit into the story. I think a lot of I think there are quite a few DMs who do that sort of thing where they'll say, "You know what? Okay, Krell had create your characters and you know what? Make you know, give a few paragraphs maybe about your character now however long you want maybe it's just a few sentences yeah. maybe you got a whole page but you know don't develop a character background and let me take a look at it and i and i'm thinking about doing that next time is after everybody does their character backgrounds you know look at them and say hey you know what there's some good adventure speeds here mm, definitely not a bit. I know if you go to our forums, osrgaming.org slash forums, uh, Full On Gamer put a bunch of custom modules from using B1, B2, and Ravenloft and made it into Star Wars Adventures. <laughs> yeah, really. He took them and he made it. He, he wanted to prove that you can actually take any module from D&D and use it for any game. So he did Star Wars. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, take a look at them. Really good, good ideas and, and downloads. It's right in our download library section. Oh, I have to take a look at that. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. And pl plus, I also found having them create their characters ahead of time before you have an adventure lets you work out ways they actually know each other and are going to cooperate. Because in that Star Wars campaign, I did while I had them create their characters with the in their backstories, I didn't work out how they would all know each other. So in my first section, they started shooting at each other. <laughs> yeah, player-on-player -player violence in your first game is not good. 
Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't bother with that. I just, I just go look at the players and I go, you know what? You all know each other. I don't care how you figure it out. I don't have time to sit there and go. You're sitting in a bar. Here's your quest. Now you go find the player. Yeah. It takes too much time. Yeah, I, I like now working that out in advance. We may even role play that out a little. Like for the my Marvel campaign, we determined one of the characters he owned a a house and he was renting two of the rooms out to the other players. And they none, oh there you go <laughs> yeah and none of them knew but but we started off so they all didn't really know each other and none of them knew each other was a superhero so they were all <laughs> trying at first to hide their superhero identity from each other then when a riot broke out in front of their house so they're all like trying to sneak out the back door hide from each other change into costumes so they could go <laughs> stop this riot <laughs> and the, and then the owner of it goes back in first and he's just sitting on the at the kitchen table, drinking his coffee like nothing's happening, even though he's already been out fighting it some. Then the other one sneaks in and like immediately runs up to the bedroom while he's just sitting there like, sup? Huh, fancy costume there. So it, it just really depends. But I like my players like role playing that out. Others may prefer just going straight into the adventure, but definitely work out in advance how these characters are going to know each other and why they will cooperate. Don't let the players just role play that out by themselves. Otherwise, they may end up brawling with each other. Hmm. Why was this always a sudden thinking about the uh, comedy show The Reese Company and what they were superheroes? (laughs) (laughs) And none of them knew that each one was a superhero. So that means the Ropers were actually monsters? Actually, Mr. Roper is the Red Skull. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, I hope we've given you guys some ideas to work off of out there. And uh, we will be revisiting this again, designing adventures from the ground up as we have a whole. Well, I planned a whole bunch of things for it. And yeah, you guys will follow along with me. And <laughs> DM will be back next week, hopefully. So we have a complete four person show, four person perspective, which seems to be working really well now. So, mm. so I guess we'll say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, everybody. Roll for initiative.